We meet today in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 5. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 5. It is basically Paul's salutation. But there is so much even in that salutation that we will not be able to go further and look at the other verses. And I pray that we will be able to learn so much out of these five verses. By the way, as stated earlier on in our previous study introducing this book, Galatians is God's polemic against legalism of every and any description. That is what the book serves as. The Mosaic law is neither discredited, despised, nor disregarded. Its majesty, perfection, demands of fullness and purpose are maintained. Yet these very qualities make it utterly impossible for men to come this route to God. No man can come to God through the law. Another way is opened for men to be justified before God, a way which entirely bypasses the Mosaic law. The new route is by faith. Justification by faith is the theme with the emphasis upon faith. Three epistles in the New Testament quote Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, which says, The just shall live by faith. Romans 1 verse 17 emphasizes the just. We read from Romans 1 verse 17, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see, Romans, 17, Romans 1 verse 17 emphasizes the just. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 8 emphasizes shall live. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 emphasizes by faith. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. It's very interesting to see that all these epistles have expounded on the statement that came from Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith, and each emphasizing the just shall live by faith. Now, in Romans, the emphasis is upon the fact that man, apart from the Mosaic law, is justified before God by faith. In Galatians, Paul is defending the gospel from those who would add law to justification by faith. Faith plus law was the thrust of Judaism. Faith plus nothing was the answer of Paul. The Judaizers questioned Paul's authority as an apostle and his teaching that simple faith was adequate for salvation. Paul stood up and he wrote this epistle to defend his apostleship, and he demonstrates the sufficiency of the gospel of grace to save. What is he doing? He asserts his divine appointment to the apostolical office. 
it was God who called him. He salutes the church of Galatia and he praises God. That is why you will see when you are reading from this book, you sense is Paul trying to prove something. Yes, he is trying to prove something. To begin with, he asserts his divine appointment to the office of the apostle. Galatians chapter 1 verse 1 and verse 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. This is Paul's salutation. First of all, he identifies himself. He says, Paul. But he qualifies himself. He says, he is an apostle, but not just an apostle. One who is not coming from men, who has not even been coming through the process of men, but who has come through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And this Jesus Christ is the one, God the Father, who had raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And then, of course, Paul talks of the brethren who are with him. And he is writing specifically to the churches of Galatia. Again, notice that Paul does not give the names of the brethren whom he has. What is happening here? Paul vehemently denies that his apostleship is due to human agency. He is not commissioned an apostle by a group of men, not from men, nor by any mortal individual, nor through men, but he is commissioned through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Unlike the other apostles, Paul received his call from the resurrected, glorified, and exalted Jesus Christ. This special reference to the Lord's resurrection is also implicitly confirming Paul's appointment as an apostle. Actually, there is no parenthesis necessary in verse 1. Paul is simply stating that he is an apostle. The word apostle is used actually in a twofold sense. The first sense is that an apostle is one of the twelve. Is one of the twelve. We read from Acts chapter 1, verse 21 to verse 26. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day, when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two. Joseph called Basabas, who was surnamed Justus and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So, the word apostle here could mean 
one of the twelve. And we are seeing that here Matthias was even appointed to replace Judas. Now, that means that person had been with Jesus during his three-year ministry, that the person who is called an apostle should be a witness of Jesus' post-resurrection ministry, then that person must be chosen by Christ himself. So that's the first use of the word apostle. But there is also the second use of the word apostle. The apostle is one who has been sent forth. One sent forth. This is the wider sense which was used even in Acts chapter 11 verse 22. We read, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. You see, Barnabas is one who has been sent out, sent forth. Now the coming of Paul, who is now saying, I am an apostle, because here is the understanding we have of what an apostle is. Paul, in my judgment, actually took the place of Judas. After the resurrection of Jesus, Matthias was chosen by the disciples to fill the place of Judas. But no information is given about Matthias except the account given in Acts 15, verse 15 to verse 26, where he is nominated and chosen. Matthias is never mentioned again. That means if the Holy Spirit had chosen him, certainly somewhere along the way, he would have set his seal upon this man to prove that this was right. In a way, actually, the apostles must have gone ahead of the Lord. And Jesus Christ was simply saying, I will choose the man whom I want. Paul, however, proved that he was an apostle. And Matthias did not prove that he was an apostle. So the election of Matthias as an apostle was held before Pentecost, which was before the Holy Spirit came into the church. For that reason, I do not think that the Holy Spirit had anything to do with the selection of Matthias. If the Holy Spirit had come, therefore he would have worked in the selection process. There are also many elections, by the way, in our churches today that are obviously not ordered by the Holy Spirit. There are so many people who have been put into the office and the church has not prayed and they have no clue except to have their name entered as a leader. What difference are they making? Yet when Paul became an apostle, he made his mark. He made a difference. The Holy Spirit did put the seal of approval to say, he is my apostle. I believe that Paul is the man whom the Holy Spirit chose to take the place of Judas. So in this verse, Paul also says that he is not from men. And that is a strong statement. He is not from men, but he is from God. The preposition apo conveys the meaning of not from men. That is, it is not legalistic. He is not an apostle by appointment or commission after having attended a school or having taken a prescribed course, so to say. 
Paul also declares that his apostleship is not through men. The preposition die indicates that it was not through men that is not ritualistic by means of laying on of hands as by a bishop or a church council or a church court. Paul was an apostle. How? He was an apostle by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Jesus laid his hand upon this man Paul and called him and set him apart for the office. Acts chapter 9 verse 15 to verse 16 but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You see, my friend, I'm actually an ordained minister from men and through men. I had to finish theological training. I had to obtain certain certificates and degrees before I could be ordained. I did that. But that was from men. That was the legalistic side. Next, I even sat before a church questioning body that examined me. Their decision was that I should be an ordained and accredited minister with the Baptist Union of Zimbabwe. And at Central Baptist Church Harare, Zimbabwe, I knelt and a group of men put their hands on me and they said, You are now an ordained minister. They prayed, of course. That is the kind of a minister I am. But, my friend, Paul said, I am not that kind of an apostle. Men had nothing to do with it. I am an apostle directly by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I want to speak to my brethren who are in ministry. It's all right to have men confer their blessing and even ordain you, but their ordaining, their ordination, so to say, is not important if God's hand is not upon you. Have you known Jesus Christ? Has Jesus Christ sent you? Let men only confirm what God has already done. Just like some people would just go and be baptized when there is nothing that has happened in terms of dying to sin in themselves. Also notice that Paul's greeting is actually cool. It's brief, formal, and tease. No one is personally mentioned. He is not writing just to one church. He is writing to several churches, to the churches of Galatia. The word church is used in two ways again in the New Testament. One meaning of the church includes the entire body of believers of all different groups who have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. The other meaning of the church refers to local assemblies, which is how Paul uses the word here. There were churches or local assemblies in many parts of Galatia. There was a church in Antioch of Pisidia, in Debe, in Lystra, and in other places he had visited. Paul was writing to all these churches, to all the local assemblies. Hence, the local church, not the corporate body of believers, is in view here. In the epistle to the Ephesians, we look at the church as a corporate body of believers, the invisible church. But the invisible body is to make itself visible in a corporate body. The invisible 
church manifests itself in the local visible church. Believers should be identified with the local body of believers. My friend, do you belong to a church? There are some who will claim, I don't want to become a member of any local church. What is more important is that I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ Universal. It is true you may have done so, but the Universal Church, the Invisible Church of Jesus Christ, makes itself visible through a local church. You need to belong to the church. Galatians 1 verse 3 Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is Paul's formal greeting that he uses in most of his epistles. The word grace is the Greek word charis. And in this verse, it was the Gentile form of greeting in that day. While peace, shalom, was the religious greeting of the Jews. Now the grace of God must be experienced before the peace that is from God the Father can be experienced. You see, we must experience his grace in order to experience his peace. Galatians 1 verse 4 Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, we are told here of deliverance from the present evil age. It is assured through the atonement of Christ. This is accomplished in the present in the sense that Christ gives victory over the powers of Satan. Now, ultimate delivery awaits either death or the translation of the saints at the time of Christ's return. Also, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. That is an important thing to know. There is nothing that we can add to the value of his sacrifice. Nothing, nothing. He gave himself. What do you have to give, my friend? Anything? Can you add anything to his sacrifice? He gave himself. How wonderful and glorious that is. I'm speechless when I read a verse like this. He gave himself. When you give yourself to have given everything, who you are, what you are, what you have, your time, your talent, everything, Christ gave himself. He couldn't give any more. He had given himself. You see? That is wonderful news to know of the fact that Jesus Christ gave himself. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. A story is told on one occasion when the pig and the hen were arguing about who is doing the best service to the master. The hen said, well, I give my eggs to the master Every morning I give my eggs. And then they were talking, they were talking. And then the pig said, what is an egg that you have given? I don't just give to the master just my egg and I keep on going. I actually give him bacon. I give my whole life. I have to die. What is it that you, you can do? For Christ, he gave 
himself. There was nothing more to be given. No wonder this statement is true. We can never outgive what God has already given. We cannot add anything. And by the way, we read in the Old Testament that the life of a creature is in its blood. And when Jesus Christ gave himself, his blood coming out, he gave his life. Paul just couldn't wait to say it. Having mentioned him, he said, who gave himself for our sins. This is the gem of Paul's subject, so to say. Christ gave himself for our sins. Paul calls himself our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he is my savior. Can you say that the Lord is my shepherd? It is one thing to say that he is a shepherd. It is another thing to make it possessive. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my savior. Can you say that he is yours, my friend? Paul goes on to say that he might deliver us from this present evil age. And notice that the Lord delivers us from this present evil age. There is therefore a present value of the gospel which proves its power and genuineness. The gospel can deliver you. People all over the world who tend to Christ Jesus, even through responding to our messages through the radio, have been delivered. Some have been delivered from drugs, from alcohol, from sex sins, from demon possessions. Christ alone can deliver in cases like that. This proves the genuineness of the gospel. Christ gave himself for our sins. He took your place and my place on that cross. He died for us and rose from the dead that he might deliver us from this present evil age. All we have seen so far does not exhaust the riches actually we find in verse 4. Notice that his deliverance is according to the will of God our Father. You see, he can deliver us and it will not be according to the law. No, no, no. But it must be according to the will of God. The will of God is that after he has saved us, we are not to live in sin any longer. How wonderful this is. He can deliver us. He wants to deliver us. He will deliver us and he will do it according to the will of God. It is God's will that you be delivered. This verse is still not exhausted, my friend. Christ gave himself that he might deliver us according to the will of God. God can deliver us, but it will not be according to the law. It must be according to the will of God. The will of God is that when he saves you, you are not to live in sin again. You see? This verse actually makes you feel like throwing your head in the air and you just say, now that has been accomplished. I need nothing more. That's what he has done. That's what he has done. Galatians chapter 1 verse 5. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, this is a moment in which Paul stops to render praise to God. I'm convinced that we should praise God more than we do. Let us get right down to the nitty-gritty, right down here where the rubber meets the road. Did you praise the Lord's name this morning when you got up? Did you thank him for a new day? 
You say it was raining, but did you thank him for it? Did you praise his name that he brought you to a new day, that you even woke up? Did you thank him for the food that he provided? Friend, we need to praise God even more. I want glory to go to the name of my God and my Savior. I don't want to stand on the sidelines and compromise by endorsing contemporary dramatic pronouncements and songs that belittle the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak out against them because he is God manifest in the flesh. He gave himself for me. I want to praise his name to whom be glory forever and ever. Forever and ever begins right now and is going on right into eternity. Let us praise him forever, forever. And through that, Paul concludes his salutation. Although it contains some glorious truths, I think you will have to admit that this is a cool, impersonal greeting from the heart of the Apostle Paul. Wonderful truths. And may God encourage us to be people who are full of praise on a daily basis. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs, so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for, and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.